Well, happy, happy spring, everyone. Did everybody enjoy the snow today? Have some fresh colds because of all the weather change? Anyone? Sickness? Mmm, yes. Coughing. It's nice to be here. Well, did you all know that when it comes to Jesus and his life, what we have in the Bible, most of his life is his last three years. But there's an 18-year period that we hear very little about him. 18 years. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it tells us that he was a carpenter. And then the only other scripture that speaks about those 18 other years, the only other one is in Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. And it says that he went down and lived with his parents, and he was obedient for those 18 years to his parents. And then it also says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. That's all it says. It doesn't say anything else. So we have these three years of ministry, and he's doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff. And then we have 18 years, three years of ministry, a three and a half, and then 18 years of silence, basically. Nate did a great job explaining what baptism was earlier. Really excited for the people who are getting baptized and for the people who are still thinking about it. When it comes to baptisms, I was always kind of thrown off when it came to baptism, specifically when it came to Jesus, specifically in Jesus' case, because it speaks of how Jesus went to go get baptized by the guy named John the Baptist who had this huge ministry. He was his cousin, but he started his ministry before Jesus. He was famous. He was known all over the country, and he was famous for baptism of repentance, people confessing their sin. And then a baptism of water, where they, just as Nate described, Jesus walks up to John the Baptist, and he says, hey, I want to get baptized. And when John sees him, he says, hold on, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be getting baptized by me. I should be getting baptized by you. Did y'all catch that? You're looking at me like, no. (laughs) For the longest time, I always wondered, why did John the Baptist even say that to him? Because of those 18 years. This was at the very beginning of those three and a half years. And there's been 18 years of silence. Jesus wasn't doing all the things that we know him for. And yet John the Baptist says that to him. And then later on, I have the scripture up there, but I don't really necessarily feel like reading all of it. So if you want to like read it, you can. It's uh, John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. And in there, if you look at it, John the Baptist says specifically that he actually didn't even know that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't know until after he baptized Jesus. So why would he say to Jesus, hey, you should be getting like... I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. But he didn't know that he was the Messiah. Why would he say that? Because in those 18 years, while Jesus was a carpenter and he lived with his family and he grew in stature 
and respect with all the people around him. Jesus lived a life that was sinless. And he lived a life so impeccable that the greatest minister, the greatest preacher of the time was embarrassed to be in front of Jesus. He did something in those 18 years. He used them so well that that was John the Baptist's response to him. Before he even knew, he found out later because after he baptized Jesus, God told him before, he said, the one who is the Messiah, you will see the Holy Spirit come down in the form of a dove after you baptize him. And that's how you know they'll be the Messiah. After he baptized him, he finds out that he's the Messiah. But before that, Jesus had such a reputation in how he lived his life as a carpenter, as a man, that he embarrassed John the Baptist. Why am I saying this? Isn't it interesting that God would send his son, but he wouldn't have his son spend all of his years doing ministry. He would have his son spend six times as much time working around people. Six times, 18 years to three, three and a half. I'm not going to do the My engineers, y'all can give me the five point something. But... It's like, it's like when you find out like every household has like 2.5 children, and it's just like, how does that work? <laughs> Anyways, but Jesus took seriously his work for the Lord, like his work, his day-to-day work, so seriously that he had that reputation amidst John the Baptist. Are y'all catching where I'm coming, what, what, what I'm doing here? We've been talking for the past two weeks about God, loving God, honoring God in the most commonplace things of our lives, our jobs, our future jobs, and then also our academics. And this week I was supposed to talk about something else, but I just couldn't let this go. And so I had to come back because I'm looking at Jesus's life and I have not been able, I've been thinking about his baptism for weeks because I've been so blown away by it. He got, John the Baptist says, you shouldn't be baptizing, like, you should be baptizing me. The reason, or one of the reasons that Jesus was baptized was because he was in that moment And it's funny, by the way, I don't have the scripture up, but Jesus actually doesn't even tell him that you're wrong. He agrees with him. He's like, ah, yeah, but you know, we got to fulfill the scriptures, so let's go ahead and do this. He doesn't even say he's wrong. He's like, yeah, I should be baptizing you, John. But the reason that he did get baptized was because he was choosing to identify with you and me and with our labels. Jesus, Jesus never had a text where he said too much. And he never, he, he never had a moment where he had to look back at some friends and say, you know what, in my old life, all I can say about that is I'm just glad that I'm a different man today. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to look at someone and say, I'm sorry for how I hurt you and the pain that I brought into your life. He never had to do that. He never does have to do that. But what he did is he said, you do have to do that. And if I, don't, if I don't 
take on your labels, your mistakes. What I mean by labels is we all do stuff where we do something and then the labels come. You steal something, oh, so-and-so is just a thief. You sleep around with too many people, oh, so-and-so is just a hoochie. It, that's what we do. We give people labels. And he went and he took our labels. Why am I hating this so hard? Because Jesus valued the work that he did so much so that he had John in awe. He saw his work as a part of his ministry. And it's, it launched his ministry. And in launching his ministry, he went on and took our labels. He took them to the cross. Tonight, I want to spend a few minutes saying some things that I forgot to say. And just repeating some things that have been said. Because they're that important. Charles did a fantastic job last week talking about honoring God in the marketplace. And I'm going to repeat some things that Charles said because we really want you all to hear this. We want you to go into the marketplace, and not just like in the marketplace after you graduate, if that's where you're, if that's where you're going. But we want you to go like into your classes tomorrow, into, into your job next, this week, tomorrow, sent there. Really believing that you have a kingdom purpose there. That God genuinely does believe in what he... Your major isn't a waste to him. Even, the, even your third major isn't a waste to him. It really isn't. But do you see it as that? Another reason why I had to do this was because I had some people corner me after I spoke a couple weeks ago. And it was not a few people. It was quite a few. And y'all cornered me. And y'all were like, yo, dog, look, that was some good stuff and everything. And you're talking about honoring God. And we got to trust him and everything as we do, as we, and we got we to gotta enjoy learning and all this stuff when it comes to our academics. But actually, you didn't really say much about how to do this. And so I need help. And Charles did a really good job of hitting on some of those things. And I'm just going to repeat them and hit on some other things to talk about how to do this. We really want you to feel sent because God has sent you there. We just have to see it as that. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, I'll pray and we'll, we'll jump in. Father God, I'm just trying to be obedient to what you've put on my heart, what you've put on our hearts as a staff team. Help us, Lord God, to see as important as being a carpenter for you, as important as that was, Lord God, for you. Would you help us to go in with a kingdom purpose into everything that we do, our friendships, our work, our schoolwork, all of it, Lord. Speak to us. Bring revelation tonight. And most of all, Lord God, help us to take on a burden, Lord God, where we are bold in the same way that you took on our labels, Lord God. Would we go and just wear your banner, your great label, and take that into every facet of our lives? Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does, what does working for the Lord actually look like? We love that scripture. It's in Colossians 3, and then it's actually in Ephesians 6. It's repeated twice by Paul. It's a big deal to him. 
We have it in Colossians 3. Paul says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. All right, so I'm going to hit like six things tonight. That's a lot. So some things I won't be able to say as much about, but at least I will have said it. And then we'll be done. That'll be it. Should be good. The first thing we see in the scripture, it's in the first verse. Paul tells us to change your boss. Change your boss. Not change your boss, like change them, whoever that is, your professor or your boss, but change your boss. See how that made it clearer? (laughs) Change your boss. That's what Paul tells us to do here. He says, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Do it with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Don't work for a grade. Or don't work for their, their approval. Work for the Lord's approval. Give your best and walk away saying, Lord, can I say that you are pleased with me? Sometimes you have weeks where crazy stuff happens and you just have to give him the best that you have with what you have less. Sometimes you have weeks where you're like, ah, I want to give all of my time to studying, but I know that overstudying would be wrong as well. Trust him with the time that you have. Let him be your boss. I heard this crazy story. This guy was a preacher, but, you know, y'all, y'all aren't preachers, but it really does apply to this. He was saying that when he speaks, and I was super convicted hearing this. He said when he speaks, he hears a lot of people give opinions, and he takes their advice. But actually what he does is when he gets home, he basically, the first thing he does is he goes and prays, and he asks the Lord, how do you feel about what I did? What are your thoughts? Are you pleased, Lord? That may sound super spiritual, but it's really, it's really not. It's actually like, I mean, Brother Andrew, or Brother Lawrence, a lot of brothers out there. Brother Lawrence, monk from like 16th century, really cool dude. I got another quote by him, but I had two quotes from him tonight. He's, he was talking about this specifically in his book, Practice of the Presence of God. It's an amazing book. I was going to give some copies out, but I don't have any copies at my house. And so, sorry. But... He said, the most excellent method I have found of going to God, the most excellent method I have found of going to God is that of doing common business without any view of pleasing men. As far as I am capable, doing it purely for the love of God. It's an interesting paradox because we get work. Oh, hello. Oh, you're more than fine. You didn't. But it's an interesting paradox. You get work from men or women, or your, whoever it is. You get work from them, but you don't view that work as if you're trying to please them. You view it as if you got it from God. That's what Paul is saying here. And this is what Jesus said in, in, in John chapter 5, verse 41. He said, he said, I do not, I do not accept praise from men. I do not accept glory from men. My glory is from the Father. Second thing. Second thing Paul says. 
Treat your task as if it is from God. It may sound like the same thing, but it's, it's really not. In Colossians 3.23, he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And then, just want to throw this in because some of y'all might have some bosses that you may not like or you may have some professors that you really disagree with. In Romans 13.1, Paul says this. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Even if you have Michael Scott for your boss, God put him there. And, and so God wants you to work as an act of worship to God. So you change your boss, but your work is also an act of worship to God. Worship. I was, I was looking at this uh, the story of... Um, Sir, I'm going to ruin his name because I always get him and his, his nephew mixed up. Sir James Young Simpson. Anybody ever heard of him? The staff have because they heard me talking about him the other day. Sir James Young Simpson, anyone? Man, I'm really, you don't know any of the people I'm talking about these days. Talked about uh, Michael Faraday last time and it's like two hands that went up. Well, anyways, Sir James Young Simpson, he has a really sweet beard, so I got a picture of him because, you know, you got to, look at that. It's a neck beard. Come on, let's bring those back. Mm. Just, just right there, right there. He was the crea- He was the creator, the discoverer of chloroform. He lived in like Scotland, eighteen eleven. Really cool dude, though. The reason I have him up here is because basically, his nephew tells us, you know, that uh, Sir Alexander Simpson, his nephew, he tells us that basically his uncle. He heard when he was young and he was like becoming a doctor, he heard a woman receiving a surgery from Dr. Um, Robert Liston. And she, there was no aesthetics, uh, anesthetics at that time. Aesthetics. No anesthetics at that time. And so she, her screams, she just screamed for hours the entire surgery. And he was ruined. And he actually left medicine and went into British Parliament. He's like, I'm going to go and be a lawyer. That's obviously a much better decision because I won't have to deal with anything stressful there. And then he realizes how bad of a decision that was. And so he's like, well, maybe I'll just try again. I really was being a coward. And so he comes back and he's like, all right, God, I want to serve you in this. But is there an answer to, to this? Because I, I want to do surgeries, but I don't want to do them like this. That's, that's misery. And then he was reading in Genesis 2 about how God opened up, put Adam to sleep, opened up his rib, or opened up, put him to sleep, removed his rib, and then closed up the skin around it. And he said, okay, Lord, you, the greatest surgeon of all, maybe I could, maybe I could do this. And so he He discovers chloroform, and in a century of great discoveries, the 1800s, it was was regarded as the greatest of the discoveries. And he did this out of motivation for loving the Lord with his work. His work was an act of worship. That's some good stuff. Number three. All right. We're moving along. 
Paul tells us to leave the reward to God. Leave the reward to God. This is, I just, this is one's really special to me because I'll tell the story in a second. This means let God open your doors. Let God open your doors. That does not mean don't try. It does not mean don't try. It, it, it means try, but don't fret. What does Paul say? He says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Change your boss. Work as if you're working for the Lord. But this one, the reward comes from God. The reward isn't the promotion. The reward isn't the pat on the back from the person that you really, res- the, res- the professor you really respect or the, the, the boss you really respect. The reward comes from God. That'll make, if you do that really well, it'll make it so that you're not really stressed out when you don't get the rewards that you probably deserve or may deserve. It'll give you peace and consistency and stability. This is a really special one for me because, so the other day I was talking to Lindsay and Jordan. They're not sitting together. They're, some, they're engaged. And, and yes, as many of y'all know, they're engaged. And there, there's Jordan back there. I don't know where Lindsay is. But they, they were telling me how they have been saving up for when they get married. And they have a good amount of money saved up, and they're not worried about finances and I was like, I didn't say anything, but I was like super, not embarrassed, but I was like, man, that was not me. Like, I just, I remember me and Katie, we got engaged, and I was like, sweet, and we were, it was my first senior year. Yes, first. It was my first senior year. We got engaged, and it was right around, like, right at the semester, in between both semesters, so it was right on Christmas break. We, we get engaged, and I'm just thinking, it just hits me one day. It, I mean, it just, it just hit me. I you're going to laugh when, when I say this out loud, but it just hit me. It was like, I just realized, I was like, oh, wow, this is real. Katie has to eat food. <laughs> and she needed somewhere to stay. And she needed stuff to, like, survive. Oh, there's Lindsay right there. And I was just like, it just hit me one day, and I was like, oh, man, I have no plans. I have no money saved up. I'm not Jordan. I, or not, I'm not... I'm not the best Jordan. I'm the Jordan the lesser. But I'm like, I haven't saved it. Just, it just hit me. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was so worried about, like, everything. And I'm, I'm like, praying, and I'm, like, super worried because I'm like, Lord, how am I going to provide for this girl? Like, the job that I, the sweet job I have right now, I already told him I'm leaving. And I, I can't go get it back. Like, I was so worried. And then the Lord, like, I could tell you the day. I could tell you the time. I could tell you exactly what I was doing. The Lord, it was just so clear. He was like, man, Jordan, go to Matthew 25. And so I'm like thinking about Matthew 25, and and he was like, what did I do there? It's the parable of the talents. And he said, what did I do to the people who were faithful to me? And I was like, Lord, you, you told them, well done, good and faithful servant. You who were faithful with little, I will now make you a ruler over much. And he said, bingo. Do not open your own doors. I will open your doors for you. Just take care of what I've put in front of you. I will take care of all this other stuff. I'll take care of the money stuff. I'll take care of all these things. Just do your best in the time that you have. 
and let that be enough. And I like took it as a promise. It was like, Lord, I'm, I mean, this is, this is not just a voice in my head. I know this is you. Usually I like let some time pass and I'm like, all right, was that really you, Lord? Like I just really, but that one, that was one of the few times where I was like, okay, that's you. And I obeyed. That, I just, I just, I, I don't think I could, I have no words to tell you how faithful he's been to that promise. Just let him open your doors. Don't try to open them for yourself. Bless you. You will go and work places and be around people who are desperate to open their own doors. God doesn't want us to be like that. The Lord will give you an inheritance. In Revelations 3, it, he tells us, he says, it says that the Lord can open doors that no man can shut. Let the Lord open up your doors. Let the Lord open up your doors. You don't have to do the rat race at work or in college to try to beat everyone out. The Lord will take care of you if you trust him. If you want an exhibition on trusting the Lord, man, check out 1 Kings or 2 Kings or First and Second Chronicles. Read about those dudes. It's amazing to watch one king rise because he trusts the Lord and the next king fall simply because he just can't trust God to do stuff. That word trust is, oh man, I could, I could all right, I got to move on to the next point because I could just stay there for days. The fourth one though, constant communion with God. And this is a big repeat of what Charles said last week, but it was so good. And I got I to gotta bring myself back to make sure I don't like just say the same stuff he said because I enjoyed it so much. But God is very, very interested in the journey, not just the destination. He wants us to go on the journey with him, not just achieve stuff for him. The journey is a big deal to God. Most of us, most of us are pretty task-oriented. God is journey-oriented. He does care about the destination, but he really cares about the journey. Like, I'm... I'm I wasn't going to say this, but I just, I'm sorry, Christopher, I just had to put it back in. I was looking at Jesus and the temptation the other day, and Jesus is being tempted. He's laughing now because he realized. Jesus is being tempted by Satan, and Satan, Jesus came here for world domination. He came here to, he's like, I'm the king, and I got a kingdom to usher in. But Satan tells him, hey, I'll make you king. Just do it my way. Just don't trust the Lord. Do the right thing the wrong way. And then Jesus tells him no. Constant communion with God. When your mind wanders, just bring it back. Bring it back with that. Man, the short prayers are so powerful. Bring it back with that two, three-minute prayer. Your mind wanders, hey, you've been working all day. You realize, man, I haven't really thought about God much at all. I'm actually really thinking about being hungry or being really stressed. In fact, today I was, like, getting really overwhelmed. It was right around, like, 2 or 3, and I was like, man, Lord, like, I was so overwhelmed that I kind of just wanted to hide away and, like, avoid a bunch of responsibilities. And I was just like, man, Lord, I need to talk to you. Then a three-minute prayer, and then my day was totally different after that three-minute prayer. And that happens so many times. Just commune constantly with him. I talked about Brother Lawrence earlier, and Charles mentioned him last week. Brother Lawrence, like, his whole life, the dude was a dishwasher and a monk 
but he was really a dishwasher. He didn't write any books, but he had such an incredible impact that people would travel far to come to hear him talk about practicing, practicing the presence of God. He had a tremendous impact. He didn't really preach or teach or do anything. He literally just talked about his experiences in walking with God and trusting God. And I got this quote because, you know, you never trust, you can never quote Brother Lawrence too little. And this is, you have to stay with me because it's a little bit longer and then also you, yeah. He said, a little lifting up of the heart suffices, a little remembrance of God, an interior act of adoration, even though made on the march with a sword in hand, like going to war, even though a, a small prayer made on the march with a sword in hand, are prayers which, short though they may be, are nevertheless very pleasing to God, and far from making a soldier lose his courage on the most dangerous occasions, bolster it. Let him then think of God as much as possible so that he will gradually become accustomed to this little but holy exercise. No one will even notice it, and nothing is easier than to repeat often during the day these little acts of interior adoration. Just bring your mind back. Prayer is powerful. We underestimate prayer so much. I could stay there, but we'll move on. The fifth one is, sounds a lot less spiritual, but it's just true. Yes! Make your peace with buttholes. You will have many buttholes in... Man, I just realized what that sounds like. Well, you will have many buttholes in class. You already have them around you. You experience it all the time. We just do. You... Oh, I need to keep going because that sounds really bad. I just realized still what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is people who are extra difficult, extra frustrating at your job, in your classes. They're not a Christian. Or some of them are, and then you're even ashamed to admit that you're a Christian because of how they act as a Christian. But you will have people who will be around you. You already have it. You have people around you. The rat race is real to them. They will, they're, do, they're doing everything they can to outduel you and to beat you and to, to stand on your back. They will embarrass you in order to get that promotion, in order to get that professor's respect. And how you respond to them is a game changer. Your attitude. We fight with attitudes and ideas. Those are our weapons. The sword of the spirit, of course, because it's like, yes. But we fight with attitudes and ideas. We do the same stuff, but we have the right attitude. Charles talked about it last week when he talked about being a servant, having a servant's mentality. Just taking a different attitude sets you so much apart and is so much the heart of God. Just the right attitude. All right, hey, you're obsessed with beating me. Hey, man, how are you doing today? How's your family doing? What's going on with you? Not in an attempt to correct or beat out, but just in an attempt to, like, Paul says it. I'm quoting Paul a lot tonight. Paul and Jesus, that's all it is tonight. I'll take that. Philippians 2, he says, do nothing to three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. 
See, look at y'all. Some of y'all are like, man, hey, I cornered you and told you to talk about the how. That's all we're talking about tonight. That's it. And now the last thing. The last thing is a thing that the staff team were expecting me to talk about, but, you know, I kind of moved some stuff around. I was supposed to spend the whole evening on this, and I could easily spend the whole evening on this because it's that important. We're going to finish the series off by talking about this one subject because it's been repeated to us too many times by people who are in the workplace or in classes, and it's always an issue. And so this really does deserve the entire evening, but, you know, hey, what can you do? Unless you want to be here for an hour and a half. I'm, I'm down for that. But for real, though, I'm not going to do that to you. James, oh, well, the last one is don't gossip. Don't gossip. You have a powerful weapon called a tongue or a mouth, whatever you want to call it. It is incredibly powerful. James talks about this in James 3. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what the great forest is considered what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it, it and is itself set on fire by hell. It comes down pretty hard. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. Dang. Who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce water. Words are powerful. We've all experienced how powerful words are because we've said too much sometimes and we regret it for a long time and we've had somebody say too much to us and we regret that for a long time. I love how he likens, I just, I, I just can't think of a better word to, than to liken a tongue or your mouth or your words to fire. Fire actually isn't the worst thing, though. Fire is, on many occasions, a great thing. It's, a fire has, well, I'm not even going to say that because my engineers are going to, you know, embarrass me and say, well, not actually, Jordan, you know, you got that wrong. So instead of saying that point, I'll move over to something else. But when it comes to a fire and a tongue, you think about a forest. Yes, we have fires that burn down entire forests, but you also have fires where because someone built a fire, they were able to stay warm that night. Or they're camping in a very cold place that if they didn't have a fire, they would die. A fire can save lives. I've seen people use words well and speak something that they see over someone's life just by being a little honest with that person. And they re I've seen people respond and be released to a life of being totally different. I've watched people be totally different because two people said what they saw in them, and they were forever different. You could, you could change someone's life with words. 
Do you realize that? Do you realize the power of your words? You could also destroy someone's life. I've seen people take years to come off of things said about them. I've seen people be haunted by those things said about them for years. You can burn a house down or you can warm a house with your tongue. You can burn it down or you can warm every person in that house by the way that you use your words. I was literally in a place that I frequent earlier today. Not going to say where. And I was sitting there, and I'm around a bunch of the coworkers, and I know all the coworkers in there, so it's super awkward because the whole time it was just literally talking bad about the two coworkers who weren't there. And I'm thinking to myself, man, how can I not hate these people along with you because of the way that you talk about them? But it stinks because if I ever, like, meet them in another place and, I don't know, somewhere else, it'll be so hard for me to see them rightly because of how their coworkers speak about them. But all of us experience this and all of us see this. We have this at work too, don't we? We have this in class too, don't we? How are you gonna talk about the people in your class? Are you gonna talk about your professor? It's real quiet, I'm gonna go further in. Do you know the reason why we do this? We don't even do it because we walk out and think like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to make people feel like crap today. We don't. No, we don't do that. That's not why we gossip. The reason why we gossip is because we want to belong. And the price that we pay to belong. Guys, I have talked to too many people. I'm just going to go on a side tangent about this. And I know I've gone a little bit longer than that, but I just have to say this. I've heard too many people talk about the, the things that they will do in order to belong. I've talked to countless students who they can't get off of High Street. That's where they live their entire life in college and on High Street and all the festivities that are there. But they sit, they, I've talked to too many students who have told me the reason that they got there was literally just to fit in. They actually didn't even come here intending to be there. They came here just wanting friendship and belonging and what they paid in order to get it has them imprisoned to something that they don't know how to get out of. The stuff that we'll do in order to belong. And we do it, we did it when we were kids, you know, like this kid is being bullied and this kid is being talked bad about. And yeah, the group of kids over here that's talking about, they're kind of cool, so we want to fit in with them. And so we pay we pay with that what it costs in, in order to at work, in order to fit in with the people who are by the wa- water cooler. You gotta go and be willing to talk bad about the person who smells funny. Or talk bad about the person who has not the same social. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But words are so powerful. And there's so much opportunity. Yes, when there's really big opportunity for bad, there's also equally a big opportunity for good. What does this have to do with the workplace and your classes? Your words would do so much. You may be the only person trying to speak life over the people in your office or the people in your class. You may be the only person who's committed to that, but you have to be committed to that. 
And the reason I say you have to be committed to that, and I'm finishing up, and the, the band can go ahead and come up. The um, give my handy dandy orange Bible. And um, I mentioned earlier at the beginning, I mentioned how Jesus came here and he took our labels. He took all of those labels and he had them poured on him on the cross. And this is what it says in Isaiah 53, talking, this is, this is written 400 years before Jesus walked the earth. 400 years. And this is what it said. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Why would I finish with this? What I've been talking about, the how of hitting harder, the how of loving God in more secular places. It's because Jesus went and he stepped into our position and took on our labels because of his love for us. And I just am here tonight to just challenge one last time. Man, some of us, me included, we have been cowards about wearing his label and his banner in the world around us. We come in here and we're all bold. Or we go to small group and that's where we like really allow ourselves to be Christian. But Jesus said, Jesus said it himself, anyone who will deny me before men, I will deny before the Father. He was willing to openly take on all of your labels and all the things that you did in order to, so that your punishment, he could give you peace there. Will you take on his banner and say, Lord, I will stand up for you. And these things that Jordan and Charles, and, and just in your word, most of all in your word, what you say about standing up for you everywhere, I will do that. That's what I'll do. I won't be scared. I won't be ashamed. I'll be proud of, of wearing your banner everywhere. We can do that tonight. That's my challenge to each and every one of you. Wear this banner everywhere. Wear it in Chi Alpha. Wear it with your families at home. Wear it with your friends. Don't pay what it costs in order to fit in. Allow yourself to be different in order to wear his banner. Fitting in isn't worth it. You just hurt people and yourself, and you get excluded from God, which is worst of all. Let him be our boss. I'll pray. I could, I could, I could keep going. I could. Lord Jesus, you took... Oh, Lord God, you took our labels. You took the things that 
you took all of it, Lord God. And the punishment that we deserve, the separation from God that we deserve, you made it so that that won't be an issue anymore if we would trust you. Lord God, I pray over everyone here tonight, Lord, that we would, yes, we would hear this, and, and yes, we would be moved, but most of all, Lord God, we would go out and we, we would really be different. Different around our bosses, different around our coworkers, different around our future bosses, future coworkers, future careers. Some of us are going to be in missions and ministry, and it's like, what does this marketplace stuff have to do with this? But Lord God, would you help us to all, even those who aren't going into the marketplace, to have a vision for the marketplace. 99% of Christians, Lord God, 99% of Christians are not in ministry, Lord. We all need a heart for the marketplace. We all need it. You have, I can't keep preaching, Lord God. We don't need my words. We need your Holy Spirit to speak to us and to change our hearts and to give us fire and passion and courage, Lord God, to stand up, to stand up for you. Lord God, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for them thinking it's worth it to come and hear about you. Lord God, would you let us walk out of here and not be content, not be content with hiding in plain sight. Help us to stand up for you, Jesus. Help us to wear your label. And thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking ours. We can never repay you. We can never repay you, Lord God. You are so wonderful and so amazing. And so I thank you. And I praise you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.